Well, hi, it's great to be with you again today. And I'm going to be continuing our series from the book of Psalms, Prayers from the Heart. John kicked us off last week, and I'm going to be talking about praying our tears. And I'm going to be basing that around Psalm 126, where the psalmist says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. There's no doubt that we are going through a difficult season because of the coronavirus. Personally, I've really not liked this lockdown. I said this the other day to one of uh, my sons and he replied, Dad, you've been saying that since day four of the lockdown. I guess you have to make the most of it. Although I have appreciated online church and thanks ever so much to the tech team for all that they've done to make it possible, there's no real substitute, is there, for actually meeting together. It's really weird preaching to a camera for a start. I've never seen where I live so many shiny, clean cars or tidy gardens or giveaways with people putting books, plants, DVDs and so on in their front garden saying, just help yourself. But thinking about this virus situation, to quote a friend of mine, the whole situation is low on laughs. In this psalm, joy, laughter, tears and weeping seem to go together. I wonder when was the last time you laughed? I mean, side-splitting, belly-aching laughter. Actually, I did a few weeks ago. Um, Joy and I were watching King's Kids in the evening, and it was the coming of the Holy Spirit. I think I might have mentioned it before. I just fell about laughing. Who needs the crankies or Lauren Hardy? When was the last time you really laughed? For that matter, when was the last time you shed tears or wept? Personally, the times when I have wept have been quite rare. I can remember two specific occasions, apart from due to bereavement. It can seem strange to think about weeping and joy and that they are linked together in this psalm. Jesus himself, however, is described as both a man of sorrows and of being anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. And we see him both weeping and rejoicing. It's always puzzled me when I've thought about it. How can sorrow and joy go together? And yet they can, as we shall shall see as we go through this psalm. And the first thing I'd like to say is this. Remember what the Lord has done. The psalmist does in verse 1. He says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed Now, we're not sure of the actual occasion that is being referred to here. It could be when the people of God were taken into captivity, called the exile by the Babylonians. We're not sure. Whatever the occasion, they would certainly have known a time of sorrow and shedding of tears, of hardship. They look back, though, as a community and remember what the Lord has done. He restored their fortunes. So something had been lost if it was restored, 
I guess we're all in some way going through a period of loss through this pandemic. Loss of meeting family and friends for a start. Loss of health. Loss of meeting together as a church community. Loss of finances for some of us. Loss of being able to plan certain things with any degree of certainty. Can I book a holiday for next year? Loss of freedom. But even in a time of apparent loss, the Lord is still at work. In the book of Lamentations, when the people of God were going through a terrible time, the writer says of God, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Whatever situation you, you may be facing right now, the Lord is still at work for your good. The psalmist looks back and remembers that the Lord restored their fortunes. What do we need to remember as a means of dealing with our sorrows? What has God done for us? We look back and remember. We remember the cross. We remember Jesus shedding his blood for our forgiveness. When we recognize who Jesus really is and what he's done for us, then a greater restoration takes place. Our broken relationship with God is restored. And that is what brings joy into our hearts. It's like a dream. The perfect son of God sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And that brings us joy. Even in the midst of difficult times. Even in the midst of sorrows. The consequence of their remembering in the psalm is they're filled with laughter and joy at what the Lord has done. What does it say in verse 3? It says, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. So we as the people of God, we need to remember what Jesus has done for us. His commitment to us is resolute. Joy isn't a requirement for being a Christian, but a consequence. The Holy Spirit within us produces joy, even in the midst of trials. We need to have times as well where our focus is is off our problems and ourselves. I know that's difficult. And onto the Lord. Then it was said among the nations, the psalmist continues, the Lord has done great things for them. People watch how we go through trials. You know, let's face it, I don't want to be unreal. We're not unreal. I'm not simply gritting our teeth as if uh, there's nothing going on. Jesus has shown to us God's love. So whatever we are facing, whether it's the coronavirus, bereavement, financial problems, family difficulties, health issues, we do not face them alone. Not only is God with us in them and through them, but the church is also here to help. That's why we're running this HOPE initiative, where the aim is, and I quote, to make sure no one in our church family stands alone and to support the most vulnerable people in our community, working with other local churches through a new organization called yourneighbor.org. Details, if you're interested, can be found on our website. God doesn't want us to go through things alone. He's put us in a community, and being part of that community is so important. Because we can look back and remember the cross of Christ, it demonstrates the Lord's commitment to us, And he's certainly not going to desert us when the wolf 
comes howling at the door. I wonder, have you got any wolves howling at your door? In verse 3, the psalmist says, The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Joy is a rare quality in this life. Our thinking often is this, that if we can only get rid of the things that hurt, then we'll have joy. But in the psalm, there's plenty of indication of suffering. Joy comes as a result of what God does. Not because our lives are trouble-free. If we hope that our lives are going to be trouble-free, then we're going to be sadly disappointed. If our joy is dependent on our circumstances being favorable, then we'll lose it when they're not. So in dealing with our sorrows and tribulations, we need to remember what the Lord has done for us. It's a simple thing. His absolute commitment to seeing us through whatever we may be facing. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. And of course, we also need to pray. It's interesting what the psalmist prays here. He prays for God's intervention. In verse 4, he says, O Lord, he says, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Now, Negev is a desert in southern Israel. In winter, the rains rush down the dry riverbeds, and the desert comes to life. It's a sudden occurrence. And just for a moment or two, I'd like to show you a video of that happening. So the first part of the video will be uh, the Negev flooding, and the second part of the video will be what happens as a result of that. So life comes to the desert. I know that the Lord doesn't stick to our time frame. I also understand that we need to be patient, but I also believe in the suddenlies of God. In the book of Malachi, we read, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The psalmist appeals to God here for like water coming to the Negev desert. It was a suddenly. And the psalmist appeals to God for this dramatic and sudden intervention. It may be desert now, but even that you can make come to life. I wonder, do you have any desert situations in your life? Situations and circumstances that cause you sadness or even tears? We've certainly got desert situations in our locality. Desert situations in our country, desert situations in the world. We can pray for God's intervention. Again, in Psalm 34, verse 4, the psalmist writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Jesus also talks about water, doesn't he? In John's gospel, where he says this, 
Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. If you're a Christian, then there is that living water within you. The living water of the Spirit of God. When I first started to come to King's, it wasn't called King's Church, High Wycombe. This was many moons ago, of course. But it was called Living Waters Fellowship. Why was that? That was a reflection of the rediscovery of the reality of the activity of the Holy Spirit. But although the name has changed down through the years, the living water is still flowing. The Lord has put a deposit of life within us that we are to share with others. And we are. For example, as a church, we're serving to help bring water into the desert of people's lives through our Christians Against Poverty work, where many people are being released from debt. Azalea, people being released from sexual exploitation. King's Table, people being released from addictions. Further afield in the Middle East and Southern Sudan, we're seeking to bring the gospel into the desert of those lands. In Nepal, where there is no furlough scheme because of the coronavirus, as you know, we've been having a big offering to help with the people there, to support them, to bring that living water into the deserts of people's lives. Now, I want us to make a simple prayer right now, if you're up for it, a prayer of intervention that you can make. Whatever your circumstances, whatever you're facing right now, it's a simple prayer that we can do, and it's this. Lord, let the living water flow through me. Let's do that right now, shall we, together? Let's uh, just put out your hands if you feel able to do that. And we're going to make this prayer, and the prayer is very simple. It's this, Lord, let your living water flow through me. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to do one, two, three, and then after three, let's make that prayer. One, two, three. Lord, let your living water flow through me. Amen. Even as I pray that, I feel energized. So we need to remember what Christ has done for us. We need to remember his commitment to us, and we need to pray for God's intervention, for that living water to keep flowing. And we need to pray our tears as well. We need to realize, if we haven't already, that sorrows will come. Sadly, Billy Graham, the great, late, great evangelist, said this, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. You know, there will be disappointments. There will be heartache. We live in a broken world. Hopefully, we also get more sensitized to the pain of others because that can cause us grief as well. We weep with those who weep. The psalmist writes in verses 5 and 6, Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. He talks about the tears being like seeds that are sown. I have to confess, personally, I think sometimes, does anybody pay attention to my tears? Is anybody listening, really? I know in one sense that God is, but I need to be convinced of it sometimes. Is anybody taking any notice of my pain? Well, again, from the Psalms in verse 56, I love this from the message version. You've kept track of my every toss and turn through the sleepless nights. 
Each tear entered in your ledger. Each ache written in your book. Our tears are noted by God. The Lord understands our tears. God knows how we speak when we are desperate. Again, in Psalm 39, verse 13, the psalmist almost accuses God where he says, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and I'm no more. It's like he's accusing God. The point is this, though, our raw emotional expressions before the Lord can be brought to him. In other words, it's safe to come to the Lord. Jesus knows what it is like to be abandoned. God turns his face away from him. And Jesus says on the cross, doesn't he? Why have you forsaken me? He knows all about abandonment and suffering and pain and tears. He understands all of our tears. Jesus took our abandonment. Jesus took our sin. Jesus took our rejection. Some looked at the cross and felt it was a failure. That all their hopes and dreams had come crashing down. And yet it was God's wonderful plan of redemption unfolding. There was a bigger picture going on here. And we cannot always see the bigger picture when we're going through our difficult times. But as we sow our tears, seeing the suffering of Christ at the same time on the cross, seeing that there's something bigger going on, we begin to understand there's a bigger purpose going on here that may be hidden to us right now. The psalmist is confident that he's going to see God's blessing in the future, even in the situations that are causing him to cry. How can that be? How can sorrow be turned to joy? How can tears be turned to laughter? How can water be turned to wine? We may fear that nothing is going to get better. There's that instant, isn't there, when uh, Mary is standing outside the empty tomb and she's weeping. She doesn't realize that God is at work even when she feels desperate and feels lost. And Mary is even weeping as she's talking with Jesus himself. There was a bigger picture that she didn't see. The resurrection points to the triumph of God. Perhaps there are situations in your life where you're in tears. Let me just say this to you, dear friends. Sow them to the Lord. There will come a time of reaping in joy. Now I understand as well that not all reaping is going to happen in this life because not all tears are going to be wiped away this side of eternity, but they will be wiped away. But the psalmist is supremely confident that there will come a time of reaping in joy. Why is he confident? He's confident because he knows what God is like. He remembers what the Lord has done. Now, dear friends, we have a revelation which is greater than his. The resurrection of Christ, which tells us that the greatest enemy we faced, the greatest reason for our tears, death, has been conquered by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So bring all your sadnesses, all your tears, to the one who understands and has conquered. I want to come in to finish now by telling you a true story of someone I know very well. I've asked for permission to share the story, but I won't mention any names. 
There was a dad who was very concerned about his teenage son. Not unusual, I suppose. His son was going serious off the rails and it was causing a lot of problems in the family. The dad was really stressed out about the whole situation. He could see his son spiraling downward out of control. He was very concerned about the things his son was getting up to and the bad company he was keeping. The dad felt a failure and swung between anger and despair. One night he just had to get out of the house and went for a walk. It was dark apparently and it was also raining. And as he walked, the raw emotion of what he had been going through just overflowed. And he wept. I mean, he wept. And he spoke to the Lord at the same time. He said this to the Lord. You didn't like it when your son was captive in Egypt, and neither do I. You wanted your son out of Egypt. Well, so do I. The prayers weren't nice and polite, (laughs) but raw and angry, accusatory even. But the Lord heard (laughs) and was not put off by the raw emotion. I have to say that I know that dad very well because it's me. I don't think I realized at the time that I was sowing tears to God, but I guess that's what was happening. Have those tears uh, sown in sorrow been turned to joy? I would describe it now, I have to say, as I experience an ocean of joy. So pray your tears, pray your sorrows, pray your pain and disappointments with unvarnished reality. You don't have to prettify them up. Remember the cross as well, because it demonstrates Jesus' commitment to you and me. The joy comes because God knows how to wipe away tears and in his resurrection work, create the smile of new life, is what Eugene Peterson says. Jesus is at work in you and me, dear friends. And he is determined to bring that work to completion.